Good. Y'all look good. Look at each other real quick and say, you look good today. Awesome, awesome. I want to welcome both of our campuses with your worshiping here at our Noonan campus, our LaGrange campus, or you're worshiping with us online on Facebook Live. I want to welcome you today. We are in week four of our series called This Is Us. And uh, if you're new to Southcrest, this is definitely the series for you. We've been talking about the vision of our church. Who are we? What are we about? When you cut us open, what do we bleed? Uh, some of you say, man, you guys are weird, like you're freakish weird about some things. Yes, we are. We're freakish weird about one thing, and that's the vision of our church. And I want to start off by talking about that. Here's what we are about. We are about reaching South Atlanta one relationship at a time through gospel, grace, growth, and generosity. And we've been spending the last couple of weeks kind of unpacking that, talking about that. If you missed a week or two, please go back to the beginning of the series where we talk about every church has the same mission, but each church has a unique vision. God has called us to be about this. This is who we are. This defines how we spend money. This defines how we design ministries. This defines who we pursue and how we pursue them. We think God wants us to be about one thing, and that's the vision of our church. And so I'm so glad you're here on on week four. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite parts of this statement, and we're going to talk about reaching South Atlanta with grace. With grace. How many of you guys need grace in your life? Raise your hand if you need grace. Yeah. I need the grace of God in my life, right? My football team is about to start a new college football season. We need the, we have a brand new head coach at my, my, my school that I cheer for, the, the Oklahoma Sooners, Boomer Sooner. And, and they have a great coach, but we need a lot of grace, right? How many of you guys are ready for college football? Now, it's weird that you cheered more for college football than you did the grace of God. Just want to say that, okay? But by the end, I pray you'll be standing up cheering about the grace of God because we're going to talk about what I think, what I think glues the vision of our church together. You see, the gospel is about God's love given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. But the vehicle that God uses is his grace. In fact, Paul said it this way, and before the end of his life in the book of Acts, Acts 20, 24, he said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and testify to the gospel of God's grace. So for me today, it's really inspiring to stand up in here and talk to you about grace because grace is bigger than your idea of grace than my idea of grace. We've got to get on the sidelines with God and we've got to see God's idea of grace. What does it look like for us to operate with grace? And here's why we've got to talk about it. Because a lot of people say, Jesus saved me by his grace, but we struggle to live with grace, don't we? Don't we? I mean, if we really lived out the fullness of what we said saved us, don't you think our world would look different? I do. I think as Christ followers, if we really started operating in the power of God's grace, the world would look at us and say, now that's irresistible. That's different. That is different. That's what I want. So we've got to talk about it because we struggle with it, even though we say it's the one thing that brought us into salvation with God. See, the church, look at this, is God's primary avenue for dispensing the message of God's grace. The church, we, this is us, the church. We are the primary dispensing tool for the message of God's grace. We are here to be a dispenser to the world and to let them know what the grace of God is and what the grace of God looks like. And let me say this, if you don't understand anything about grace, go back in the spring. I did a series called The Grace Card. Go back and rewatch that series. We talk all about how we're supposed to operate 
with a new identity because of the grace of God. I challenge you to do that. So today, I want to talk about how we can dispense this message of God's grace to a world that is hurting. Now, here's what I know about being in church, okay? I've been in church now for almost 30 years. I gave my life to Christ as a junior in high school. But in 30 years, um, a lot of people don't go to church because of church people. Let me back that up a little bit. A lot of people say, well, the church is for church people. Now, think about that statement for a second. We have our own way of operating as church people, right? On Sunday, we dress a certain way, we sing certain songs, and churches are united and divided upon what they think a church should be like or how a church should operate. And so what's happened is, if we are the primary dispensers of the message of God's grace, we may have gotten it wrong when it comes to the church. In fact, let me say it this way. The church hasn't always got the message of grace right. If we are the primary dispenser of the message of God's grace, the church of Jesus, then church isn't for church people, per se. Church is for people in need of grace. You see, otherwise, all we have is religion. We come into this room, we put on a plastic coating, we act like we have it all together, we act like we figured it all out. Nobody want, I, don't, I don't want you to ever see my defects. And I come in here and we posture ourselves every Sunday for a good hour and act like somehow by doing this, God's going to love us just a little bit more, right? Like God may pay off for a car early if we go to church enough, right? God may deal with us in a different way. And, and that's not what the grace of God is about at all. The grace of God is so much greater than that. You see, the church doesn't exist for church people. The church exists for people in need of grace. That's why I say we don't exist for ourselves. The best thing we can do as a church is forget ourselves and start loving the world the way Jesus loved the world. Otherwise, the church becomes nothing more than an organized institution, and that's not what we're here for. If we're really about reaching South Atlanta one relationship at a time, then we've got to understand we exist to dispense the grace of God and the message of God's grace through Christ. And let me say this. If in the church, grace isn't at the front and center of the church, then something else is. And that something else is probably not good. It could be legalism. It could be infighting. It could be politics. It could be a lot of things. But God wants us to put grace at the beginning. God wants us to put grace in the focus. But here's why we struggle with grace. Grace is not meant to be explained, it's meant to be experienced. How do you explain the grace of God? How do you stand up here and say, I was once lost, but now I'm found, I was blind and I can see, and it's this amazing grace that changed me, and try to get your hands just around the grace of God for about five minutes. It's like trying to swallow the ocean. And so what we do in the church is we relegate what we know about grace to what we can explain. But I want you to know this, as a church and at Southcrest Church, we want grace to be something we experience. Because here's why. As we experience grace, you know what we do? We go pour it out to the lives of others. In fact, I wanna say it to you this way. We can only pour out the grace that you and I experience. Because otherwise, you're gonna be extending something to someone that you yourself don't possess. God wants us 
to experience his grace. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Acts chapter 15. We're going to be speaking today out of the book of Acts. Acts is the story of the first church. And we've been sharing a lot over the last couple of weeks about who we are as a church. And even the first week, we went back to what was it like at day one at the church, right? Like right after Pentecost, what happened to those people? And we went all the way back to like Acts 4, Acts 2. In Acts 4, verse 33, it says that when they went out from that point of being the day one church, that they went out full of the grace of God, that that literally sent them out and and they began to change the world. And then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says that Peter has a vision that says, hey, the gospel isn't just for the Jewish people, it's for the Gentile people. You're not just supposed to preach Christ to the Jews. You're supposed to preach Christ to everybody because the grace of God is for everyone. And then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 11, we start seeing Gentiles and Greeks being saved and being baptized in the church. And then remember that moment where Paul gets involved, where God saves Paul. And all of a sudden in Acts 13, Paul goes on this first missionary journey. So Peter says it's for everyone. These Gentiles start giving their lives to Christ. And then suddenly Paul says, I'm going to start going out and I'm going to start preaching Christ outside of Jerusalem. And so he leaves and he goes on missionary journeys to the Gentiles. And then in Acts 14, we read that Paul planted churches over about a two-year period. Some 20 churches, they believe that Paul literally planted as a result of his missionary journeys to the Gentiles. But then all of a sudden, two years later, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. And by this point, the church has just literally exploded. So remember day one, remember 3,000 people saved, baptized. They say that by the time we get to Acts 15, that the church in Jerusalem was over 20,000 strong. 20,000 believers in Jesus Christ who every day were getting up and going to the temple courts and testifying to the other Jews about the grace of God. And then they were meeting in homes and the church was just, they couldn't stop it. They couldn't stop it. The Roman Empire couldn't stop the move of God. Why? Because the grace of God was that good. Then suddenly God calls two people Jews and Gentiles to be under one umbrella called the church. And you know what happened? We had our first church fight. And you know what it was about? Grace. It was about grace. In fact, let me say it this way. It wasn't just about grace. More specifically, it was about circumcision. Circumcision. Awkward. I mean, think about the things we fight about in church today. Should women wear pants? Should guys wear shorts? Should people wear flip-flops? Should we sing a praise song or a hymn? Should we have colored lights or white lights? Or should we have stained glass or no glass? (laughs) They fought over circumcision. Okay, so I started thinking about this. What if we held our next Discover Southcrest class And when you came to the class, we said, this is what our church is about. This is our vision. This is how we operate. Hey, we want your kids to be involved in kids ministry. Hey, it might be good for you to sign up for a life group, maybe get online online and giving and all this. And oh, by the way, you have to be circumcised. (laughs) Awkward. Okay, that's a church decline strategy right there. The amount of people who want to step up and be circumcised is going to be a lot different than the people just say, I want to join that church. So they're fighting about circumcision. 
and about following the Jewish laws. And look what it says in Acts 15, starting with verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they were told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad, and when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Gentiles were meeting Christ. They're coming into the church, and all of a sudden, they meet a bunch of Jewish Pharisee converts, and look what happens. Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised. And required to keep the law of Moses. Law of Moses. That's a lot of laws. In Jewish laws, there were over 600 laws that a Jew tried to keep. So not only do you have to go through a painful, very awkward experience, but you've got to try to keep all these laws. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now think about it. Peter had walked with Jesus. Acts 20, or excuse me, John 20, Jesus had reinstated Peter after he had denied him three times. You think Peter knew a little bit about the grace of God? Right? Because it was Jesus with him in John 20, and then suddenly in Acts, it's Jesus in him, and he preaches a message, and 3,000 people get saved. I think Peter knows a little bit about the power of God's grace. Peter got up and addressed them. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on their necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? What a statement. He said, we've been trying to do this for years, trying to adhere to the laws and having circumcisions, and we've never gotten it right, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus saves us, and he changes us, and why are we going back to tell people, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to follow Jesus, plus do this, plus do this, plus do this, plus do this, and I love Peter's bold response. Look at verse 11. No. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That's a testimony. See, see, that's where grace became real because what Peter says is somehow you guys have gotten together and you've tried to make this idea about being a Christ follower about all these other things other than the grace of God. And I want to say this to you. If the grace of God is powerful enough to save you, It's powerful enough to keep you. So the Jewish Pharisees, they're getting together and Paul and Barnabas go and they try to address this whole thing and Peter stands up and he says this. And I mean, even think about this. Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, and Luke. 
They're at this council and they're trying to decide this deal. Are we gonna let these Gentiles come in here and follow Christ without having to follow all these little laws? And you know what it was? It was a crisis of belief in the church. And here's what they were saying. Are we gonna believe and be about the grace of God or are we gonna be about grace plus blank? Same fight still happening in the church. People say, well, if you go to our church, you have to sing a certain way. Well, if if you're going to believe Jesus, then you have to dress a certain way. You have to act a certain way. You have to be a certain way. I want to tell you something today. If you're here trying to figure out who Jesus is, Jesus just wants you. And his grace is enough to save you and change you and empower you and free you and deliver you. And you can't come in and clean yourself up enough to try to earn his grace because his grace is greater than your cleanup. You just got to know that today. And I love testifying to that today because that's what I experienced in my life. So the Pharisees who met Christ come in and they say, we want grace plus. And Peter says, we ain't doing grace plus. You see, here's what he was really saying. Jesus plus anything else that we try to add to it is never good because only the grace of God is enough. Here's what Peter was really saying. Grace plus anything else is anything but grace. And that's where we still struggle today because people come into the church, the big C church, and we still want to make it about how good we can be, how religious we can be, how tough we can be, how deep spiritually we can be. And I just want to say to you today, it's always been and will always be about the grace of God. It's not about your effort. God invites your effort because of what he's done in you, but it's not required for you to be anything more for God. So in the early church, they're fighting this battle, and Peter says grace plus anything else is anything but grace. So I ask this question, how do you and I, knowing that this battle happened, and he stood up and he said, no, it's the grace of God, and it's the same grace that saved us, that saved them. It's not grace plus, it's grace alone. How do you and I begin to operate in that type of grace so that we can become better dispensers of that message of hope? Because that is the message of the church, right? 2 Corinthians 5, that God is reconciling man to himself, that he's no longer holding sins against him because the grace of God has appeared. That is our message. How do we become good at dispensing that hope? First of all, we gotta have a better understanding of how we got that hope. So I wanna make a couple statements to you today. If you pen, write this down. The promise of grace began in the garden. See, some of us think God had to create grace because we were so screwed up. God created grace because grace was his idea, not yours. You see, in the Bible, it says in, back in the book of Genesis that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was that moment where they were left totally separated from God because of their sin. Remember? God comes in, he says, hey, where are you, Adam? And Adam's trying to hide from God for the first time. There was no need for him to hide from God, but suddenly he was afraid of God. And I love what God does because here's what God did that you and I need to understand about grace. God showed up in that moment and he showed grace in the garden. How do you know that? Look at Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God 
talking to the serpent, talking to Satan. And between your offspring and hers, he, everyone say he, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who's the he in the story? It's not Adam. Suddenly God invites this third person into the story and you know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And here's what he said. At the moment, Adam and Eve, where you sinned against me and you were most vulnerable and I could have, I could have just destroyed you, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to grab Satan by the neck and I say, now it's between you and me. And let me make it very clear, Satan. I'm going to send my son Jesus and you're going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. That's grace. Grace showed up in the garden before Jesus ever showed up on the earth. Grace showed up before you and I ever had a chance to mess up. So the next time you come to God saying, God, I know you can't love me. All my friends know what I did on Facebook. Oh, oh, I need 10 people to pray for me and retweet this prayer request or God's going to strike me down. Bro, listen, man. Some of you are out here acting like Satan's going to get you. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, Satan can't get you because God's already got you because his grace saved you. He can't get you. Why are you running around and acting like Satan got you? Oh, I'm going to go. It's going to be a rough week. Come on, man. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you got a whole new operating system. It's called grace called grace before you and I ever messed up the grace of God showed up see the promise of grace began in a garden but the presence of grace showed up in Jesus it was promised back then you say okay God promised it would happen but then suddenly Jesus comes on the scene and the presence of grace came through Jesus look at what it says in John 1 14. It says, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus shows up on the scene. God had already made the promise in the garden. And Jesus shows up, and suddenly the presence of grace is on display. Jesus came full of grace, full. He came full. He came full of grace and truth. All right, so how many of you looked at the sun this week? Raise your hand. This little thing called the eclipse. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Stared at the sun. Now you got to go to the optometrist. It's amazing. This was the picture of the week. Ready? Here it is. Very awkward. I don't know why people took pictures of themselves staring at the sun, but I get it, okay? But suddenly there was this new word, because I love it. When something happens in our society, we have to have a new word to explain what just happened. And so you know what they said about the eclipse? When the eclipse happened, here's what we said. We are at totality. Now, who uses that word before the eclipse? Like how many of you went to a restaurant, like a good Mexican food restaurant, and you ate past full, and you said, baby, I'm at totality. (laughs) But in our society, we made up a word, and suddenly it became the buzzword. I started seeing people hashtag it, hashtag totality. 
Why? Because someone else said it. (laughs) So I just want to tell you, I love taking words that the world makes up to explain what only God did because Jesus came full of grace and truth. And I want to tell you, Jesus is the totality of grace. You can sing total eclipse of the heart all you want. (laughs) Jesus became the total eclipse of grace for humanity. And it lasted a lot longer than 180 seconds. Jesus was the presence of grace. He came to this earth full of grace and truth. I like what Paul said, because Paul experienced the grace of God there on the road to Damascus. In Titus 2.11, look what it says. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Man, that's powerful. That's grace. The presence of grace came through Jesus. And if that's true, then here's what this means. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We can walk in the fullness of of the grace and truth. Why? Because I want to tell you something that's a secret that we need to remind ourselves in the church. Jesus Christ is now alive in me. And if Jesus was full of grace and truth, then guess what I could begin to operate in? Grace and truth. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You may be struggling today. You may be strung out today. I want to tell you, Jesus plus nothing. Every part of your life that was broken by sin, marred by failure, screwed up and ruined, Jesus brought grace to the party, and the party has never been the same. So that's true. The promise of grace began in the garden. The presence of grace came through Jesus. But here's the cool part. The proclamation of grace comes through us. The proclamation of grace comes through us. Peter, in this moment, in verse 11, he he said this. He says it's through grace that we experience that salvation, not through all these other rituals and and things. And And then if you read on down from verse 12 to verse 18, James, the brother of Jesus, kind of chimes in in the moment and he starts saying the same thing. He says, hey guys, it was never about us trying to do these outward things. In fact, he quotes the prophet Amos. He said, God even said that there would be a day that salvation would come to these Gentiles. And then he makes a statement in verse 19 that is scandalous. Look at what he says. This is James, the brother of Jesus. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The church should be the greatest place for the message of grace. He said, you shouldn't have to go follow 600 laws to become a Christ follower. You shouldn't have to be circumcised. You shouldn't have to do all these things because why are we making it difficult for people to find Jesus? See, we, when we make the church about rules, traditions, and preferences instead of the grace of God, we make it hard for people to find and follow Jesus. And I want to tell you here at Southcrest, we don't ever need to do that. 
In fact, let me say this. If you come to church and, and your goal is to get here late, leave early, hug no one, shake no hand, and just say, man, I got my 50 minutes of Jesus, you're missing out on the grace place that God created us to be. You ought to be hugging people's necks. You ought to be praying with people. You ought to be holding on to people and saying, hey, how can I support you this week? Because grace starts in this place before we'll ever see it out there. God wants us to operate because we are the proclamation of that grace. Quit making it difficult. Let's make it easy. In our vision, we talk about reaching South Atlanta one relationship at a time through gospel grace, growth, and generosity. We ought to be the place that everybody goes to because they know that grace is real. In fact, let me say this. If you want to see our church grow and reach our vision, This is what we got to understand. The church is most appealing when grace is most apparent. I talk to people sometimes out in the community, and especially people who are far from God, and they'll tell you they're far from God, but they don't ever say this. They don't ever say things like, I don't go to church because I don't believe the Bible's true. They don't typically say, I don't go to church because I'm an atheist and I don't believe God exists. Nine out of 10 times, people say they don't go to church for a totally different reason. I wrote this in my journal this week. Most people don't attend church not because they don't believe the Bible is real. Most people don't attend church because they don't think the people that attend church are real. And when you and I start operating in grace, suddenly we become real. Not because we have failure, but we become real because we have power. People start looking at us and saying, that person has irresistible influence. She's going through cancer, and look at how she is walking in the fullness of God's grace. That dude went through a divorce and and look how he still loves Jesus and he still wants to see God. Why? Because of grace. Because of grace. The church is most appealing when grace is most apparent. We should stop doing anything or never let anything get in the way of someone walking in this room every Sunday and having a head-on collision with the grace of God. Anytime we do, we're missing it. See, here's what I love. When James made that statement, let's quit making it difficult. We should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Here's what he was basically saying. When people see us, when people see us, when people see us, they should see the grace of God. See, I love these. These are binoculars. You can go and buy these. These are very expensive, by the way. In fact, as I'm I'm looking in the back, um, Ma'am, you missed a spot on your makeup there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just teasing. Like, can you really see me? Feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Here's the truth. When we are operating and becoming dispensers of the message of grace, you know what we are? We are viewfinders for the grace of God. People are looking through our lives and they're saying, because you know what these do? They blow up what's ever on the other side. Like, dude, you've got a melon head over there. I just want to say that. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Some of you go, wow. Yeah, I see. I see you. Yes, you waving your hand. I see you. Yep. 
And suddenly, like, I'm here and you're there, but you look 10 times bigger even though I'm standing here. That's what happens, folks. We are the viewfinders for God's grace. People ought to look through our lives and see who God is and say, wow, God's love is much bigger than what I thought it was. Forgiveness is much more a reality than I thought it was. God cares for me much more than I thought. Why? Because we become viewfinders for the grace of God. I love that because when we become viewfinders, suddenly people want to know the God that's on the other end of the lens. And I go, wow, I want to be a viewfinder for God's grace. So I want to tell you a couple things and we'll close today. How do you and I, in a very practical way, become good at dispensing the message of God's grace? The first one is this. You've got to embrace your own grace identity. Embrace your own grace identity. Remember what I said earlier? If you are not operating in the fullness of grace, you don't have anything to pour out into others. And many times we try to show sympathy to people when we ourselves need to be an avid user of the gospel and the grace of God ourselves. You know what I want for you? I want more than anything for you to know who you are in Jesus and to know how wildly deeply, desperately God loves you. I want you to operate in grace because when you operate in the fullness of the grace of God in your own life, suddenly you start operating in your own grace identity. You know what happens? You start walking in freedom. Not arrogance. Not cocky, like, I can do anything and God still loves me. No, that's not what grace is about. But you start having this spiritual swagger about your life because suddenly you realize, I am no longer captive. The grace of God has appeared to my life and now I know who I am and I start operating my identity and suddenly I just have this grace identity and it brings freedom in my life. And the only illustration I can give you is this. Imagine going to a prison. You walk into a prisoner's cell and they open the cell and they say, hey, buddy, you served your time. You can leave. But the prisoner stays seated on the bed and says, no, I think I'll just stay here and look at the open door. I think I'll just sit here for two more years and contemplate what it would be like to be outside these bars. Oh, man, if I was locked up, and you open the door and you said, down that hallway and through those gates is your freedom, I'd be the first one running out of that gate. Listen, folks, when we start operating in our grace identity, we start living out our freedom, we start having irresistible influence, and then suddenly people want to know what is different about you. And we get to tell them about the grace of God. Free people, free people. The other one, we got to share hope. We've got a lot of yeah-yeah going on in our society right now. I was watching one of my high school friends. He posted on Facebook after the eclipse, I'm so depressed. There was so much hype. It didn't really work. Well, yeah, you're in Oklahoma, dude. Move to Georgia. You were not in the path of totality. Share hope. How do you share hope? 
If the grace of God is in you, start speaking life. Quit speaking death over things. Start speaking what God says is already alive. Quit coming into agreement with what God said is already dead. Like I said, we act like somehow the devil's going to get us. He can't get you if God's already got you. Share hope. Okay, here's your Facebook challenge. You ready? I give one every week. Go back and look at your feed for the last month and ask the question, how much hope have I shared? Or is it all about you and your problems? Pray for me, I had a flat tire. There will never be another tire like the one I will have to replace. (laughs) We do that junk, don't we? Share hope. God's giving you a mouthpiece called the internet. Use it for the glory of God. Speak life, not death. Grace is power to be shared, not pardon to just be celebrated. Share hope. And the third one, it's the most important. Embrace grace relationships. Engage in grace relationships. Who is around you in your life that you can think of right now, that you can write down in your Bible, that you can put in your smartphone and begin praying for daily and figuring out a way to go engage that person with the grace of God. There are people all over South Atlanta that know nothing about the grace of God. They have a bad church experience. They've had a bad God experience. They've blamed God for why their grandmother died. They don't understand why they don't have the money they think they should have in life, the riches that they want in life. As a church, what happened, what could happen if 2,000 of us left this room and said, I'm going to infect one person in the next two weeks in a grace relationship with the love and the grace of God? And it could be as easy as go paying for their coffee as it could be to go put their arm around them in the gym and say, hey man, I know you're going through a difficult time, but I just want you to know I love you. And if you need me, here's my cell phone number. Please text me. What is it gonna take? It's just gonna take you believing enough in the grace of God that you say, you know what? At Southcrest, we are the primary dispenser of the message of God's grace. Let me ask you a question. If they don't hear it from us, that God's grace is real, who will they hear it from? Apart from the grace of God, we don't have a message, church. And what we don't need is another method. What we need is to get back on message. Who do you know that God is saying, right now, I want you to go engage that person and they are gonna become your grace relationship. You're gonna be a dispenser of my message to that person. Let's bow our heads together today.